0: It's, it's not so much the alcohol, or it's the reality you're running from, you know? It's not so much, I just think, oh god, you're kind of addicted to it. So once you remove it, you know, it's just, it's not there. And it's, you know, like trigger points. It's not a physical trigger, it's always a mental or emotional trigger that does it. not physical, so it's not the substance to me, it's the reality. You're it, addicted to running away from
1: reality. Yeah,
0: exactly, that's the addiction escaping reality. why do you want to do that? You're just afraid of what?
1: Welcome to the 1,000 Day Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I'm not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol, and I spend every waking moment of my life hoping other people do the same, like right now. Get in there, my folks. Okay, what are we going to say? What are we going to say? For those of you that care, I just got back from the plastic surgeon in Beverly Hills. Wow, makes me... Makes me seem dead posh, doesn't it? More like the Beverly Hills, Beverly Hillbillies. But um, yeah, just come back from Beverly Hills when I see a plastic surgeon there for, for Zia. And um, everything's looking really good. Everything's looking really good. So um, no need to do anything. Um, I'm obviously referring to the, the dog attack. Everything is really good. Yeah, we're going to get her to see a therapist as well, do a little bit of uh, work around trauma and that kind of thing, just to make sure that the insides are healing as well as the outsides. But um, yeah, very, very um, scary, traumatic um, experience, but much to learn from it all as well. So life is good here in Los Angeles. the sun has come out again. it's getting really nice and warm and beautiful and uh, I actually went out for something to eat today. <laughs> so I left the house went obviously because we went to the plastic surgery, we nipped into a place called Crossroads, which is uh, a vegan um, a vegan place. it's, it's nice, but do you know what? like for those of you that think that veganism is healthy, which I used to, um, it's not. You know, well, it can be. Um, but just because you say you're vegan and you're gonna eat vegan food doesn't mean it's healthy. The food we just ate today, I don't feel like it's sitting in my stomach particularly well. Um, so there is some there's some garbage uh, vegan food out there and there's some really nice vegan food out there. Um so just choose wisely if you decide that you want to become vegan. And I know there's um a few people here at um Strive who are you know, feeling that way and wanting to go vegan. So, um, you know, take your time and just make sure you do it healthfully. Okay. Want to say a big shout out to Nick. Want to say a big shout out to Claire. Want to say a big shout out to Sophie. Want to say a big shout out to Lulu. Am I missing anybody? Don't think so. If I am, I'll do it next time. All of you, welcome, welcome, welcome. They're all members of Strive at the moment. They're going through the Strive Method for Addiction and they are really enjoying it, getting in there, doing the work. Um, Our coaching team, Laurie and Stella are really helping them there. Nikki's also got a group of more experienced members at the moment. So it's all going really, really, really well. And if you are interested in learning more about the work that we do around addictions, we are going to run a 12-day workshop on private facebook page you're going to learn the step-by-step process that i use to help you to become someone who doesn't drink alcohol without cravings going to be doing five really good training videos i'm going to be in that forum um, as much as i can be to interact with people and to answer your questions and to help you and to really Provide you with some stunning, stunning content for free. And if you want to get involved in that, get over to www.1000daysober.com and you will find how to sign up there. Okay, you go to, I think their page is free stuff and you'll be able to sign up and we will get you into uh, the private Facebook page and start doing that work. Wonderful, wonderful opportunity to get on that. If you're interested in being a 1000 Day Sober coach, and um, helping people to become people that don't drink alcohol and making a few bucks in the process, then we have a course starting uh, very soon. Uh, Email us at one gmail.com to learn more about that. All right. Now, without further ado, my guest today, he's a beautiful man, uh, has a very special place in my heart. He's a striver. His name is Michael Bojarski. And um, about now, he'll be celebrating his one-year soberversary. This is a guy who died once, uh, and paramedics brought him back to life. Um, alcohol has been a you know, a big part of his story for a long, long time, but not anymore. And he is currently working the Strife Method for addiction. He's just about to enter the initiative phase. He's killing it. And um, he's about to, hopefully... Do a TED Talk, all right? That's what I talk about, meaning and purpose, stepping into your power when you get rid of drinking alcohol, all right? So our relationships with other people are incredibly important in our lives. We sometimes take those around us for granted, but communication and active listening is key to making social interactions pleasant. Life is precious. We may have an abundance of time, but addictions can take everything everything from us if we're not mindful. And this is why Michael Bojarski advocates for both social consciousness can't even say it, and sobriety from alcohol. He believes these things ultimately transform him into the better person he is today. And in this episode, Michael discusses his insights about being sober and the difficult path it takes to get there. He talks about his early years and how masculinity is often linked with drinking alcohol. He then mentions how sobriety has brought about a new self that is much more of a man and much appreciative of life and the people around him. Finally, Michael shares that admitting your weakness is the first step to overcoming addiction. All right? Three reasons you should listen to this episode. You're going to learn more about the importance of manners and polite communication in today's age, discover how alcoholism spirals out of control and why it reinforces a negative feedback loop and vicious circle, and find out why sobriety entails self-reflection, admitting weakness and valuing the time we have and life itself. So, that was Further, he- further ado I'll shut the hell up leave you in the cable hands of our dearest driver Michael Bujaski thanks for listening Michael Bujaski how's life brother Woohoo!
0: actually very good
1: yeah really really good yeah yeah
0: how did long you see, have you been you, gone you did, did you see the Marco Polo I posted today
1: no I'm a little bit behind I've uh, woke up this morning oh, and been back to back I had eating.
0: my big win today
1: yeah tell us about it
0: big win I submitted my TED Talk to the committee. (laughs)
1: Yay! (laughs) And remind Uh, people who are listening here, Michael, what is your TED Talk going to be about? My TED Talk is going to be
0: on when and why did we lose all of our
1: social graces? When and why did we lose all of our social graces? I like that. How do you think that fits into your addiction journey, do you think?
0: Honestly, it's because I think when you're addicted, it's in your mind, it's all about you, right? You have this thing. It's all the world is against you, and you're just pissed off at everybody. And decorum is out the window. You don't care. You're escaping reality in the addictive world. So as I came out of it, I just started noticing more and more. I mean, I noticed it when I was like intoxicated. And I I reacted in a hostile manner to it, whether it was just to myself, not usually to other people, but I noticed it and it really kind of ticked me off. So as I got rid of the alcohol and I started being out in the world, I just really, really noticed on a clear, conscious level that people are rude as hell. (laughs) And it it just bugged me. It's like people just don't holding doors open for people. I just, I just started doing it just to make a point of it. And how many people you can open the door for them and they don't even say thank you. Like really? Mm -hmm. Or people sitting down, you know, in a crowded place and there's, you know, somebody who obviously needs to sit, but nobody will get up and let them sit. Oh, just little things like that. Or when you're asking for anything, when you're out, nobody says, please. And nobody says, thank you. Or you're welcome. Uh, And I think it, It creates, there's a baseline of hostility in the world, anger, right? When we interact with each other. And I think, you know, when we talk, we talk at people. We don't have a conversation. We talk at people and we don't listen. Actually, the other day, I just learned that, do you know, listen and silent have the same letters? (laughs) I never knew that.
1: Right. Yeah. 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 Well, when
0: you think about it, they do. And, We just like, we're demanding and we don't seek permission. Like when you want to talk to somebody, you know, it's like, Oh, can I do this? Can I do that? Well, of course you can, but may you really, you know, may I have a conversation with you? May I talk to you about something? It's like, Oh, it's like Joan Rivers. Can we talk here? You know, type of thing. Mm. So it's just like, just slow down. Everybody just slow down for a minute. And if we just use those common courtesies and basic manners, it would slow people down and get everybody to like breathe first and it would remove that hostility i think if we were just courteous i just think we need to recheck ourselves and if we just did the, everybody did those lip that little thing to quote uh, unfortunately george bush it would be a kinder gentler nation you know mm-hmm. so world but i you don't know that was my premise for it
1: it reminds me of that Melanie Joy has been on here a couple of times, you know, she um, uses the word relational literacy, which we pinch and use in the stripe method. And she said all the words problems would be solved if people were able to improve their relational literacy and just start to learn to communicate more effectively. And I think the gateway to that is just is manners.
0: Yeah, it is, isn't it? That's what I think. It's simple. Everybody can understand it. It's not a complicated theory.
1: Hmm. I mean, you know like here at uh you know at 1000 Day sober and strive I'm always saying hey, you know if you come here to uh, stop drinking alcohol what we do is much more than that and that alcohol is just a part of it. But I I don't think I've ever really had the uh the right words or on how to kind of like put forward my 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 thought around this until recently, you know. Like um you've heard me talking about being above the line and being below the line, being conscious and unconscious. And I did a a, a workshop yesterday, five day workshop with the uh, what they call the Conscious Leadership Group. Uh, anyone listening to this, by the way, you know if you're leading companies or people or you know you you just want to act more consciously, check them out. I'm going to give them a free plug: www.conscious.is. Right? Conscious.is, I'm in. Mean. And the work they do is amazing. And then I, I it, it just hit me straight away that actually. What what we're doing here at One Thousand Day Day Sober is we're helping people raise awareness of when they are conscious or unconscious. Which of course, when we were drinking, we were probably unconscious a lot more than we were conscious, right? So, but we thought we were conscious. But we thought we were conscious, yeah. And an aspect of this, I think, is when we when we go to have our communications, even those trivial ones in the supermarket, for example, or Starbucks or whatever, it's um conscious it's having those conversations from above the line so it's like hey how are you feeling today right above the line like i really want to know how you're feeling today versus hey how are you like below the line like i'm unconscious i don't give a shit like it's almost like a mask on mask off type of thing did that come into
0: it when you was researching Definitely. Definitely. You know, recently you started doing that above the bar, below the bar. And it really is a thing because everybody, when you do things, uh, me and Stella were talking about this yesterday. Um, When you do things, you know, if you're doing them right or you're trying to cut a corner, right? Mm. It's above the bar or below the bar. It's, it applies to everything in your life. And so if you're going to do anything, I know I know that I used to build models when I was a kid, right? I, I was meticulous, I was patient. I, I developed my patience there. But as I started drinking and stuff you know, later, I cut all the corners, you know, it was way below the bar. Everything I yeah. did was below the bar, you know. Like, I could have been replacing a faucet in the bathroom or something, and I would just hack it yeah. and below the bar. But lately, since I've been doing uh this journey. I redid my kitchen. I hung the door, which I didn't think I could do. I changed out the replacement cartridge in the in the shower valve. Uh, things I wouldn't have done, or I would have just been mad. I would have been swearing. And I, when I do things now, it's how many swear words did I use when I did? <laughs> when I did
1: it? <laughs> that's your that's your metric.
0: That's my metric. And quite honestly, lately, I've never. Uh, In the last year, I very rarely get past two, which is really good because everybody in my house knows that, oh no, every other word is going to come out, it's going to be a swear word. So, but it it brings us to a point where, you know, I'm trying to do things above that bar and do them right because you know when you don't do them right. Mm. So,
1: well, we know, we know, we know when we do most, we know most of them. And I I guess, I guess that's the beauty of striving 1000 days sober is. To be amongst people who can point out when we think we're above the line when we're when we're not. That that's that's the other because like there is still, you know, it's a bit, it's a massive leap, I guess, from being like, let me think about how to produce. so I often fall into the trap of being very binary in my thinking around my drinking and my non-drinking. So I say, um, I was unconscious and a zombie when I was drinking, and now I'm not. Well, of course, that's not true, right? There were times when I was drinking where I would manage to be conscious. And there are times now that I'm not drinking that I'm very unconscious, right? So what are you being unconscious about? See, because a lot of times I find myself now, I'm like unconscious, but I'm in that zone.
0: I'm doing something and it's just, I'm just rolling right through it really good. So that's a good unconscious versus before it was like a, you're like a hiding unconscious. You don't want to know type of thing.
1: I'm talking more about like, how, yeah, I could tell you, yeah, I can. I mean, I could tell you right this morning, like this morning, I've had very little interaction with human beings physically because I've just been on calls with people. But I'll give you an example of where I was unconscious this morning. And you know me, I like to push the edges and really, you know, that's one thing that I want to help help people in terms of coaching and stuff is really go to the edges. And this is one of those. It's where, um, you know, Zia's, uh, I get up with Zia. And I'm making a breakfast and I'm making my breakfast and then getting her ready for an online school class that she's gonna do for 30 minutes that she really likes. Um, and she does it. And then I have a client, right? So I say to Liza, look, I'm just gonna go and prepare for this client, you know? And uh, I could see that Liza was um a little bit angsty, a little bit um below the line. <laughs> All right. So so I'm like, uh, hey, what's up? You know, and she's like well, same, same old thing. Like, you know, like, uh, and she started like doing breath work in front of me. Right. And then I got started to get a bit triggered a little bit and then she stopped and then she said, well, it's the same old thing. You know, like the, um, she's just had 30 minutes education, right? She's had 30 minutes education and, um, it's not good enough. And then I'm walking away to the stairs cause I got to go do my thing while she's t- saying it. And I turned around and said, yeah, and this is reality. Okay. Right there in that moment. I'm below the line. Like I I am not, yes, it may be reality, but I am not that. She doesn't want to hear that. She, she doesn't even no. want me to respond. She just wants to just tell me how she feels. But because I'm above the line more than I'm below the line, I'm able to go, oh, fuck, that was just below the line. And then when the time was right, I had a break in a meeting. I went downstairs and I said, I just want you to know. I heard, I heard every what you said about your concerns about Zia and her education. I don't have any answers, but I, I heard what you said. And she looked at me, and she she knew that that was an apology. And she said, okay, yeah. thank you. you
0: know? Yeah, it's good when you, you're clear enough to know that you just you, you can feel it. Ah, oh, you know what? I didn't do that right. And the best thing you can do is go back and readdress it in the right, in the right way, the above-the-line way,
1: and all the angst is gone. It's all gone. And and with with, with that, you know, you were talking about like, please and thank yous. I was um, building my relationship course yesterday and I was reading um, Why the Buddha Married by Charlotte Castle. And there was a little chapter on how to apologize. And I thought, what a beautiful thing to teach people, like how to apologize. Like how many times have I been below the line? Apologizing. Look, I'm fucking sorry. All right. I said I'm sorry. You don't sorry. mean it. <laughs> you don't but, mean it. Yeah, Liza would say your tone, your y- your body language, like everything. Just f- don't do that. Like, don't bring that shit to me. And I, what the fuck are you on about? Right. So, like, my dad never apologized to my mom in 40 years of marriage. My mom tells me. Well, what's that all about? There's a all right, there's a will there maybe, but there's obviously a skill deficit there as well in something that we perceive to be as simple as an apology, right? Like like that, that again, it's 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 an it's an edge, right? It's like what are we doing when we're interacting with people? Yeah, and now that you mention it,
0: I don't think I've ever heard my parents ever say they they never apologize for anything, anything. Now that I think about it, oh. I can't even think of one time. That's kind of strange. Well, you said one thing really good about Apologies well, last week, I think it was sorry comes from a place of love. I never thought of it that way, ever. Mm. And it makes so much sense. Mm. So much sense. Yeah. If you think of an apology from a place you when you say it that it's coming from a place of love, it changes your delivery and your thought about it. And it he, really even,
1: even uh, and this is going next level, I guess, but take uh like my my like my dad apologized to me once that I remember in his life. He punched me in the face when I was 18. I was Probably drunk. You deserved it. I did. <laughs> I, was, I was drunk. We got into a fight about something. I was drunk. And it was about me drinking and taking drugs, I think. And I turned around and I said, why don't you just fuck off? You're not even my father. And he just went fucking bap. Um, and I ran away to my next door neighbor's house. And then I came back and he apologized to me and started crying and because he'd never hit a, any of his kids. And it it must've fucking broke him somewhere like to cross that line. Do you know that, that boundary? So, So, you know, so outside of that, there's no apology, but then what, you know, what I'm learning at the moment is when I think, oh, that guy doesn't apologize. There's something wrong with him. Then the trick is how can we make it right that he doesn't apologize, which is a little bit next level shit, but you need to go into his body and say, why is it right for him not to apologize? And then you, you, you're you only assuming and, you know, but, but it could be, well, he, he really doesn't know how to, and he's afraid to go there, right? He thinks he'll lose his masculinity. He's, shamed, he's ashamed, like whatever. But it gets you to see from the other point, person's point of view, which is below the line, which is above the line. And the below the line is blaming him and criticizing him and judging him for not apologizing. I think it's fucking beautiful, right? Like I, <laughs> like I see how excited I am. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good, really good. You know, so that that now, like with 1,000 days sober, that's what it's all about. It's like I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you, and Michael and everybody else is gonna help you become a conscious human being more than you're not, and to recognize when you're not being, and then make a conscious choice whether you want to continue doing that or not. You might be like. No, I want to be fucking angry with you, Mike, right now. I want to be below the line. I want to offload. I want to give you some fucking shit. You might want to be like that. But you're in, cr- you're in control of that, and you're not doing it unconsciously. Yes, 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 totally. Like there were people on you're the, making the on choice. The, there were people on the group yesterday. You had to pick a relationship, you know, like uh, pick a relationship, and uh, it was really challenging for you. And then the facilitator was like, "Okay, are you willing to let this anger go?" I was like, "No." Are you willing to see things from the other person's perspective? No. And the facilitator weren't saying, oh, well, you're fucked then. The facilitator was saying, okay, we're below the line and we're okay with that. And, uh, and people were like, yeah, yeah, I'm cool with that. Yeah, I'm cool yeah. with that. You know? Open so, line of communication. <laughs> hmm. So tell the people listening, like, where did you grow up as a, as a child and how did alcohol, you know, first start to f- filter in your memories, early memories?
0: From the time I can remember, it was just sort of my dad was a, a really big drinker. My mom, not at all. But my dad, I could say, highly functioning. He, as far as I knew, everything was going smooth, but he always had his cocktails. I mean, all the time we had family parties. Um, I'm Polish. My dad's family had like four brothers and we used to have polka parties, actually. I was to move the furniture, polka dancing and drinking and whoop it all up so it was always there when I was right before I turned 13, my parents got divorced. And then that's when I noticed my dad really probably a couple of years right after that, he was really, really drinking heavily. And up causing him to lose a job. And then he just spiraled out of control. But in the meantime, I, where I worked with him and, I worked in a warehouse of a heating and air conditioning distributor and that was part of the thing we had beers in the fridge and as soon as we were done everything was done whatever time of the day it was usually after four o'clock though so, beers were underneath the counter we were helping people our customers would come in and go back to the fridge drink we were drinking with them i mean and then we'd go out afterwards and it was that way for my professional career so I, I started doing that when i was 14 and by the time i got married when i was 21 I was already starting outside sales. And at back at that time, it was it was three martini lunchtime. And it was, that's how it was. And that's mm-hmm. what we did. And one thing led to another. And uh, I thought it was just a way of life. I didn't think I had a problem with it. And I didn't. I, seriously, I don't think I had a problem with it at all. Until in my 40s, I started getting sick, weird, sick. And it was kind of unexplainable. And it took a while. Then I had a heart issue that almost killed me and actually did kill me, but they brought me back and uh, it was diagnosed with these two syndromes. I had a defective heart valve and I, it was bad enough where I either was medicated or sick. I went on disability and I self-medicated for, it was a good, good 10 years self-medicated. Then I went to a rehab and then I tried quitting and I, I, I was sneaking, drinking and it, and it became an issue. I was driving everybody away. I was miserable. And then a year and a half ago, I had my heart surgery. And you think you'd stop drinking after that. Well, <laughs> no, my wife was home for me with a couple for a couple months after that. And as soon as she went back to work, I started drinking again. Well, I drank for a couple months and then I started listening to your podcast. And like I quit on like Thanksgiving that year. And I started that intensive in December. Mm-hmm. And I was good. I was really good. And then towards the end of the January, I started drinking again. And then I just, on February 15th, I made the choice. It's just like, this has got to stop. You know, I'm going to kill myself here. You know, what am I doing? I, I my they opened my chest and worked on my heart. What are you, dumb? How stupid mm-hmm. are you? And so, February 15th, uh, knock on wood, it was the last day I, well, February 14th was the last day I drank.
1: Right? Valentine's so, Day. Nice.
0: Valentine's Day. I was supposed to take my wife out to this beautiful dinner. I had this whole thing planned out. And, Nope, I got tossed instead. So I just stopped the next day and I've been alcohol free since then. And uh, here I am with you. Coming up to, a, coming up to, a, coming up to a year. Coming but up I'm, to a year. And who would uh, have, I, I swear in, in my life, I had a lot of plans in my life. I was successful in, in everything I was doing prior to that, but I had, you know, like plans and I just blew them all off. And it, to be as far along in what I'm doing today than I was. A year ago is just freaking amazing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thanks to you. It. You deserve in the it group all. and to everybody in the group. You deserve it all. Um, and I'll take that. But um, throw it back, right back at you and say that you know, for every single person that comes in one thousand days sober, it's really just like helping them to discover the power within themselves. You know, and like them being holy shit. Like I can fucking do this. You know. So you know, kudos to you. I've got a lot of ground to cover, but uh, I want to go back to the beginning this bonding with your father you know like over drinks how important was that for you do you think in terms of your decision to drink and uh going for this you know this whole like masculinity thing and going from that transition from a boy to a man what was going on back then
0: it was all about that i thought i i thought i don't know it was the environment i was in it just just all the guys, all the, I mean, it was construction. You know, the guys, they drank. And mm-hmm. it was part of being a man. And, oh, yeah, to be able to go out and have that three, mar- three or four martini lunch or whatever your choice of drink was and be able to function and go work, you know, and handle your business and, you know, be able to handle your alcohol and out drink everybody else type of thing. Do you keep up? Yeah, it was a big part. It was a huge part of my identity. I mean, even when I was playing... Uh, my adult life, you know, sports on sports, you know, playing competitive softball, you know, drinking beer. We go playing a tournament down with travel you know, and get these big sports complexes that they had bars in the sports complexes and in between games, toss back a couple of pitchers and go out and play. And then you play six games in a day, drinking the whole time. You go out and play softball, you play good, compete. And it just... I felt pretty damn good about myself about it until I didn't. (laughs) And then it just snowballed. Just gets, and it took, it took a long time to figure out that you didn't, I I didn't need that to be who I was and I wasn't being who I was because Mm of it. And it's, it's the great unknown though. You know, you get comfortable and you get on that track and you're all good with it until you're not. And when you try to get out of it, you try to break it. You're scared. You're scared. You have to admit that that what you're doing wasn't right. You have to admit to yourself that you don't have control over something that everybody around you does and participates in. It's very humbling. But if, if you face that that fear and that unknown, and you can get yourself a little time under your belt and become somebody who doesn't have the substance in your body that alters reality, what life really is. You get past that, but then all of a sudden, like I was telling Kim, the, that new spirit is born and it starts crawling, then it starts walking, then it starts wanting to run. And once it runs, it's a it's quite a ride and it's a beautiful thing. It feels so good. It just does. It's the only way I can describe it. It feels great. So when it goes, and, when it-, and it has, I'm more of a man
1: now a thousandfold than I was back then. Hmm. Yeah, I identify you know? with that. I don't I I actually I actually thought I I actually thought I became a man when I stopped drinking. <laughs> I didn't realise actually that ten years after stopping drinking, I'm finally becoming a man. Liza last night we um me and Liza were talking downstairs and she said, Come and come and talk to me while I floss my teeth and brush my teeth upstairs. So we're in the bathroom and we're talking really quiet because we don't know what up it's like one o'clock in the morning or whatever. And we were talking about progress we've made as a couple and as individuals. And, and she said to me, the biggest difference for me right now is I think I, I know now that I'm married to a man and for a long time, um, I, I, I was married to a boy and I can't begin to describe how that feels to be married to a boy. And and, and this is me sober, right? So, so, so there's a lot of work to do once you, once you get running, like you said, like there's a lot of work to do. And, you know, that's what I hope where we come into our own, where we can help people and, and, and provide that platform. I got a question for you. Going back to like the whole thing with your dad and being introduced to drinking and the construction, thinking back on it now, did, do you think you ever had a choice when it came to drinking? Oh, wow. Um No. <laughs> no. It's hard. It's hard, right? To think yeah like, what would you, my life have been like if I didn't drink? Yeah, I don't the only person I knew that didn't drink it back then was my mother.
0: Everybody around me in my world drank. Everybody. Relatives, was it, friends.
1: Was it um these days you, you know, it's like uh you gotta be PC with language, but I'm not going to be. <laughs> when I was a youngster, if I didn't drink, then I would have be I'd be called gay. And a pussy. And uh, what's the or, matter with you? It would all be about my sexuality, which back then, as a teenager, or you know, even yeah, like, that was a big deal back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you have that same kind of kind of thing? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Mm. Man up.
0: Mm. No, what are you gay? <laughs> Sorry, but that, I mean, I'm older than you, so <laughs> that's that's what it was.
1: Yeah. You know, so you know it. it I mean, that's a really important point because we start out drinking for all the wrong reasons, but we think at the moment, we're so sure that we, we, we can't wait to drink. Like, like we're really excited. My daddy just ignores me most of the time. is really angry and pissed off. Suddenly wants to do something with me, you know, and that was my, my reality anyway. Um, and then I'm, I'm working, not school. And now I've got bigger, older people. And now I feel like a man and it is, it its you know it 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 is like this pseudo ritual isn't it that yeah that, you know right we of passage we don't have any more rituals that exist in how to you know yeah, we don't have anything for a man
0: no i don't I don't think so
1: even no. even like all right, I'm gonna get this completely wrong, get a load of women start fucking shouting at me, but like <laughs> when when women start having their period when girls start having their period oh no I <laughs> know I'm going there. Obviously, they're not women, but there's a physical process that is happening, which for men, like there's there's nothing that happens, and none of the whole the old mythology or the old tribalism of like taking your boy into the woods and doing something that makes him feel like he's in a safe space, but he's going to become a man. It doesn't exist other than snort this drink this and fuck this like that. That's, that's it. Is it, is a young boy, right? Unfortunately? Yes. Unfortunately. How did you get to before? I think you said, uh, tell me if if I'm wrong, but I think you said you didn't think your drinking was a problem until like around 40 ish. Right. Mm -hmm. How did you manage Mm -hmm. to get to that point? Not thinking it was a problem because you're still married at this point and you've got people around you. Was you getting feedback that, that your drinking was a problem? yeah
0: it started creeping in you know enough do you think you've had enough but you know when the i used to bring home a bottle of wine every day for dinner i mean that was just and that's before stopping and having a drink or two and then coming home having you know wine with dinner or even coming home and having you know a drink or two um it just it was just it was okay because everything was i was doing everything but those couple of drinks turned into like six drinks How many ever they turn into, and then it's all of a sudden, where'd that bottle go? (laughs) It's like whoa, you know. It just became, and then you know, you start just pretty much passing out, right? You're just drinking too much, and just boom out. But you know, you still still trucking on, trucking on. Oh, I can handle this. I could do this, and it starts in the back of your head. It it, it starts talking to you. It tells you. Your body tells you, "Hey, dude, really? That's enough." enough it's going overboard you're a runaway train now you're gonna listen but you don't listen oh I got a handle on this it's no problem but you at the same time you know you don't mm. you just don't want to admit it you can't admit it it's the unmanly thing to do and God if I admit it I have a problem I'll never be able to trick again who the hell wants that you know who wants that stigma who wants everybody looking at you or especially when it gets to the point where you're always the drunk one at the family party <laughs> mm. that's never good right? Yeah, everybody's like oh shit here's that guy and we always thought you know there's always somebody in the family it's like oh yeah he's he's gonna be the one the funny one right do you
1: remember that yeah. do you remember like being that guy i asked that question because in my first marriage my my wife was that that woman but she i don't think she ever realized she was or certainly didn't look at it in a negative way i uh,
0: i see for me i never did it like i mean i drank my share in front of people in the family and, and everything. My problem was uh, once I guy kind of like was on disability. Cause like you know, I was either drugged or drinking, I mean, or sick, but I drank it by myself.
1: Mm.
0: It was a lonely, it was, a, I did it on my own with people. I I was, you know, I knew when to slow it down or stop or whatever, uh, but by myself, there's no off switch. And that's what became the issue, but then it became an issue where people that were close to me knew that I had an issue with it, and they didn't want me drinking when we were all together. So then that friction started.
1: Talk about that a little bit. The uh, so you know the drinking, the drinking at home, and the no off switch. What what's going on there? Do you, can you can you remember emotionally how you're feeling and uh, why you're doing it, or was you just really unconscious? I was
0: just a miserable internally. I was miserable. I didn't. I wasn't productive. I had no direction. Um, I tried to do things. I never completed anything. I never followed through all, all the telltale signs, really. I mean, and you just start wallowing in your own damn pity, even though you say, I don't have a self-pity. Oh, that's a, yeah, that's what I did. I just wallowed in myself. And uh, I had a convenient excuse because I had a medical condition. Didn't make it right. but And I just, I played it up and it enabled me to do what I, I did. And I thought I was hiding it from everybody, didn't hide it. Everybody knew it, but they, they also kind of thought that, well, God, I had this problem and not the drinking problem, the other medical problem. And and God kind of felt sorry for me at the same time. So it was just a vicious circle, vicious, vicious circle. And, you know, obviously if you keep drinking and drinking and drinking, you had to drink more to get to that certain cut up or that level where you your brain or your it had to be it had to get to there but once you got to that level oh i'm feeling pretty good this is good i'll just have one more drink that one more drink leads to a couple more drinks and that's it lights out Mm -hmm. so it's it's a gone away train
1: it's interesting because i um I i don't think about drinking anymore but if i if i have a smoothie i have to drink it really quickly if i get a coffee from starbucks I have to drink it really quickly. If I have food on my plate, I can't leave any of it. And I suddenly realized that actually this followed the pattern of my drinking. If I had a bottle of whiskey, mm-hmm. I just, there's no part of me that would say, Oh, just have a little bit. It just didn't make sense. Whereas Liza, she'll, she'll <laughs> no, have a, no. she'll have a, she'll have a bar of chocolate in in the fridge and and like one of these healthy things. And it will, it will last us six months. She'll go in there and have a little, little square. I'd be fucking nailing no. it in like two seconds flat. <laughs> exactly so exactly. i think i think there must be something you know we don't talk about biology and all that kind of stuff a lot of 1000 days sober there it must be death there must be something there you know in terms of um you know a, a, a habitual way of kind of behaving around these things you know like for sure i really think
0: that. i think it's really ego driven hmm? it's all about your ego you know you, you can't admit that you're weak you can't you just can't, you know. As a man, or at least when I grew up, you know, with the way I was raised, it's like a man thing. Hmm. So don't make it right. And so it's definitely mean, not right?
1: So you mean you get you get knocked sideways by this disability, and you don't want to appear to be weak, and you don't know how to. You don't want to fail, so you, so you just self sabotage.
0: Yeah, because at first, when I was feeling sick. To get, to get enough energy up, I got that lift from drinking, you know, give you that, I, I could power through this. Mm-hmm. Then you get to that point and you start coming down, you drink a little bit more to keep, to maintain it, to always maintain mm-hmm. it until it became where it's, you know, not maintaining nothing. You're just kind of drowning the pain or the drowning your whatever, you know, you don't want to face this. You don't want to face that. You just hide. You run from reality. You know, it's, it's not so much the alcohol or it's, it's the reality you're running from you know you are not so much i just think oh god you're kind of addicted to it But once you remove it you know it's just it's not there and it's you know like trigger points it's not a physical trigger it's always a mental or emotional trigger that does it not yeah. physical so it's not the substance to me it's the reality that
1: you're addicted to you're, you're addicted to non-reality you're addicted to right. running away from reality yeah exactly that's the addiction
0: escaping reality And when you, why do you want to do that? You're just afraid of what somebody's not going to react to what you're going to do in the
1: right way, or Mm. are you going to do something that's going to upset somebody? Oh, we don't know. Oh, we don't know. We're just afraid. Right. And that's why coaching helps and that kind of things where, you know, 10 years after I stopped drinking, I'm still having like light bulb moments that that link back to the why, why I made decisions. I mean, this is a good learning point for people listening actually. So um, at one point, you were really struggling like physically and you felt that drinking alcohol gave you kind of like a a little bit of a, a buzz, a little bit of a lift. So that was your value. And now you haven't, you haven't had a drink for a year. So what happened to that value? How did you deal with that? I like this me better.
0: (laughs) I don't need it. I got, I have too many things to do. You know, what? I was reading it. I actually posted it on the community last night. The thing about mm. time. I don't know if you read that or not. No, yeah. Time is the greatest gift of all. And we are billionaires in time. You know, how are you going to spend yours? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. It, it says in there something about, is it that what your, your average age is 78? How much time's left? Would you, you want to be rich at 78 or would you rather be poor at 20 right now? I'll take poor and a dead at 20, then gets, you know, 60 or whatever I am now. So it's really, it's this time. And I was thinking, oh, you know, back to reading that scared the hell out of me. Oh, the average age is 78. I'm going to be 60 this year. I only have 18 years left then. I'm on the clock. (laughs) Well, I better damn do something because I just pissed away 10. So...
1: All right. So what what you're saying then for for people listening is at one point in our... In our journey, we think alcohol provides us with short-term value because we're getting some sort of buzz out of it that kind of peps us up when we're really struggling. But then when you switch your perspective on value and you think to yourself, well, hang on a minute, if I keep doing this, then long-term, I'm wasting my life. Like I'm not able to get a I but- a- it's like an upper limit problem, and the alcohol is self-sabotaging you from getting above that limit. So I need to be physically healthy in order for me to live my life, and alcohol is preventing that from happening because I keep drinking it, and it's keep it's keeping me physically um, at a disadvantage. So long term, there's no value. Like long term, I need to get rid of this out of my life so I can start living my life. And the reality is. I'm sick right now and I'm going to have to do a lot of hard work and a lot of tough things to get myself in physical shape. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm. You have to, I mean, unless you just, it's precious. God darn it. This is from what I've been through. Life is freaking precious. And I really seriously could not be sitting here today talking to you. I mean, that's a fact for me and you should want to Take this time. We were all put here for some reason, no matter how small, how large. And and quite honestly, my drinking was part of my image. I was honored to be that guy, you know, Mm. buying the drinks, pushing the party, you know. And I was there. I I loved it. It was my cause. But then at the same time, you know, what was I contributing? What positive things that I contribute to the people around me and to life? To the universe in that state all the time and when you being clear now it's just like god no really nothing you know yeah i did things in life that that helped people and, and i enjoyed doing it and you know all that but no you know I, I still was wrapped up in that my ego and the image that i w- was trying to portray the costume the mask you know wh- whatever you want to call it mm. but now this is it. This is what you get. And I'm okay with it. I'm really okay with it. And so far, everybody around me is, is okay with it. And that's what's important. That's all that matters now.
1: I want to I wanna touch on that, actually. But before that, one more point on breaking through, you know, going from... I have this picture of you just in a fucking chair, not giving a fuck, drinking. Like, it's my vision right now, right? So how do you go from that to, like, on the verge of doing a TED Talk... Why why are you able to switch your perspective on value? And there's people that strive one thousand days sober listening to this who are still in the stuck phase, are still really struggling. They've been here with, I've I got we got some people that have been with us for a year, two years who who still cannot get past that phase. What's the difference do you think?
0: Realization, awareness, consciousness. Yeah. You have, you know, it's just like in a little think of it as an experiment. Don't drink for 90 days. And if you don't drink for 90 days and after 90 days, your life isn't better (laughs) then you have, you got to go deeper. You got to dig deeper. There's something else going on Mm. because there's no way it's not better. Mm. And there's no way you're not enjoying yourself more. There's just no way there has to be a deeper, deeper issue because you just start doing more. Your brain is like firing on all cylinders and, how how why would you want to turn away from that i don't have enough time in the day to do everything that i want to do now before <laughs> i'd make time to just drink and go wallow and watch the tube i'd you know mm. put on some tunes listen to music and now it's like god i get up and i'm ready to go and you do it and before you know it it's dinner time and i'll know i like, okay i want to get a couple of other things in oh crap it's already time to go to bed i don't want to go mm. to bed yet.
1: <laughs> yeah, I like that. I, n- I never want to go to bed. <laughs> I don't want to go to bed yet, but at the same time, I
0: have to force myself to go to bed because otherwise, I'll be too tired to do anything mm-hmm. the next day. The day after that, it'll catch up to you. I've just seen it. I, I, I hate to say I've seen the light, but I've seen the light. I just feel so great. It's just great, and it wouldn't have happened. I don't think without turning inward first. I'm kind of a uh, introvert, or I'm always learning uh, philosophy, you know, uh, all that stuff. I'm into it. So I'm always, you know, searching for that thing. But you have to know yourself before you can present yourself to the world. I wish I would have known that a long time ago. You have to really know yourself. And it's like we taught you talk a lot about the inner child, you know, and I think a lot of addiction is because we turn away from our inner child because our inner child, and we all can remember back when we were kids and we were doing what we wanted to do. And, and we had grand visions of our life, right? We all dreamed. We wanted to be this. We want to be that. We wanted to do these things. Our inner child wanted those things. That's the divine spark. That's why we were put here. Those dreams that we had when we were kids, that's why we we're here. But mm. then we get sidetracked with the world and society and what they want. And all of a sudden we start listening to everybody else piling on us and we bury that inner child. And a lot of people say, well, you know, you have to go back to your inner child. That's where your problems are. No, that's not where your problems are. He knew what he wanted to do. Your problem is with you now as an adult, not as an inner child, your child. And quite honestly, I just like, uh, I posted the other day about, me and my inner child come to an agreement. You know, he told me basically, we're, we're good. You checked out, but you're better. You're much improved. Let's just go do what we got to do, what we're here for. So, me and him got an agreement, me and my yeah, inner yeah, child. Yeah. I like that. That we're going to make those dreams come true. And I think if you, if you just twist it around a little bit, okay, forget about all the outside noise and, and everybody putting expectations on you and go back to your inner child and who that inner child wanted to be, you know, talk to them a little bit, come to an agreement. And I think mm. that's what's done it for me. Uh, you know, but it took a lot of work to get to that t- too. You know, I mean, all those lessons, all the talks, all everything, but it was worth it. I wouldn't change it for the world.
1: I mean, there, there is a correlation there, isn't it? If you, if you think about, the people who really, st- if you just, we just focus on our own community, yeah. there is definitely a correlation between uh, the people who are really struggling and their ability to show up and their ability to do the work. And what I mean by that is assignments, being vulnerable, coming to meetings, talking and discussion about the life. It's, a, it's clear that the ones who show up and do those things end up coming out the other end as someone who doesn't drink alcohol and change person. And those who don't do those things really struggle. And I think the other correlation is somehow you found a way, as a quote from Susan Jeffers, you found a way to feel your fear and do it anyway. Some of the Zia always said, right. I'm afraid, that I'm afraid, I'm afraid. Yeah, but can you jump? She's on a wall like, I'm afraid, but can you jump? Can you be afraid and jump? Yeah. And then she jumps and it's like, I didn't die. <laughs> right she want to do it again well now she will because she's tried it and she knows that her perception of what's going to happen isn't the same as reality her perception is i'm going to i'm going to break my leg reality is i can fucking i can jump off this wall and you manage to i imagine through small incremental challenges to realize that oh actually if i don't drink my perception of what is going to happen is not like reality whereas some people are afraid of that, or they're not. The certainly, or they get they get afraid of the beauty and the joy that comes with being sober for many, many different reasons.
0: I have to, uh, I'll admit, I'm scared. I'm scared a lot. I I think about this all the time. It's like just starting with this TED talk. You know, okay. First, I had the thought. In that I had the one idea. I have a page sitting here of all these other different ideas. But when it got when it got right down to it, I enrolled in a course on how to do a TED talk, how to you know put it together, present it. I did that, so I did that. <clears throat> I'm in a voice course now too to mm-hmm. improve on that because not only do I want to get one, I want to do multiple ones. I really think this is going to be a cool thing. But yeah. there are times when I'm just sitting there thinking. And it comes oh, back up fuck. and rears its head. Oh, oh fuck. Fuck. What am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing? What if they accept this? What if I have <laughs> to go on the stage? Yeah. Oh, can I pull this off? Hmm. Okay. Now, knowing how I thought before, it's like, oh yeah, I have the great ideas and I can talk the game. I'd either have a couple of drinks to push me through it, or i chicken out. Right? It's like, oh, okay. you you I'm, I'm too scared. I self sabotage. Hmm. I was. I'm a master. I was a master procrastinator and really all it was was self sabotage. I was afraid of the success of it. Mm -hmm. And I I still, it still gets a little nerve wracking in the things I'm doing, but now it's just like, what's the worst going to happen? They say, no, okay, I'll just do a different one. We'll try that. But every little step that I've taken, it it just opens more stuff and And even if you get knocked back a little bit, it still opens another door and you just like go. You just keep going. The fear is still there. It's just like hugging it. You just got to hug it and, and acknowledge it. And once you acknowledge it, the worries go away and you just go forward.
1: Yeah, I look at it differently as well. And just, um, you know, like you were saying that you had a conversation with your uh, inner child. It's almost like having, I'm reading a book now called The Language of Emotions written by uh, an empath. And she said, you know, you like, you really need to get to know your emotions intimately. Have conversations with them. Hey, fear! Whoa, what's going on, dude? Like, you know, and I always say this to people: the movie Inside Out on Pixar is like really, really great to watch. When it comes, have you seen the new
0: one, Soul?
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah,
0: yeah, that was. I love that movie. I was like, yeah, "Yeah, see,
1: yeah, I like, I like, I like these type of things. You know, they do a really good job of um, of explaining what. What we perceive to be complex issues and then these animators just show you that no no no, no. there's a real easy way to get this get very this
0: basic yeah i just don't understand why it takes so long for people to figure all this out why aren't some of these things part of your education why don't they talk about do you remember a class in school on how to have a good conversation <laughs> do you remember um something of you are going to be afraid sometimes. Now, wouldn't that be a great subject for a composition in an English class? I mean, just to talk about it even would so help people as they grow up and they face all these obstacles and they turn to substance abuse or something, mm. you know, to try to think it's going to be better and it just gets worse. and.
1: Well, that's why it's really important on us as parents to sort our shit out and to teach teach our children the things that they're not being taught in school. I mean, you yeah, well, this is how un- unconscious I was when I was drinking, uh, I and mean, this is largely due to my environment as well. But I would I would never have imagined of thinking about what school to send my son to. Like he, would, he that this was his school. That was it. That was my thinking. Like. I, to put him in higher education or to put him in a place where they maybe do ask those questions. And I'm pretty sure we get those exist right now. You know, we'd have you have to pay a bit of money to get into them. Um, and me yeah. and Liza would def- definitely be doing that research now with Zia. But with Jude, I would never have done that because my mentality was, I'm a working class scumbag. I do not send my kids to a private school because I'm a fucking man and I'm no pussy. And uh, intelligent people are pussies. Like all this kind of like brainwashing, You know, which which is all linked. It's not just the choice to drink. It's linked to how I show up as a husband, how I show up as a father, how I show up as a friend, how I act on the football field, how I am a leader in business, how I'm uh, uh, an employee in business. Like it, it, it's it's massive. So, like when you come through the other end of what you're doing now, I mean, you're you're really just starting your journey, right? Really, you're just coming up to starting blocks, right? But you know what I mean? Maybe yeah your impact now on other people around you your wife your your grandkids you know people on strive myself it's, it's it's incredibly different to compare to what you could do you know like when you're drinking you know it's uh, very 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 different what is I mean, you you did what was called uh I mean the strife method for addictions now it used to be called the life changing experience. It was the intensive, you did the intensive, you're now going through the strive method for addictions. Um what is it about you, what is it about it this uh, that w- this worked for you, do you think?
0: It's an honest reflection of your innards. <laughs> it really is. I mean, if you if you take it seriously and you absorb it. And you take a second to do the exercises and answer them honestly, you get a great picture of yourself and you're able to resort your life and your priorities and look at it as building a new foundation to build a new house. You know, we all, people, you know, move from place to place to place and, but they're the same people, but we never sometimes, we need to sometimes tear down something and rebuild it to do it. And that's what the thing does. It doesn't tear you down, but it just makes you tinker with it and, and, and find things. And, and it just helps you. It just brings out, it gets rid of the garbage, gets rid of the stuff that you don't need and focuses you on who you are and, and what you can possibly be and gives you a solid footing. Mm -hmm. Something and to stand on and to go places.
1: Talk a little bit about strife, the support system, the community. How is that? Uh, how has that affected your life?
0: Oh, it's great. I don't. I don't miss a call. I have actually a call with other members. You know, on the side of the scheduled calls, we just do them <laughs> on our own. You know, because they're just great. We just have a great time. We can talk about anything, good or bad. If somebody's having issues. the Marco Polo thing is great. You know, you have your groups, but we also have people have their individual connections with other people that you end up helping each other or helping different people that you never thought. I never thought a year ago, I had, I had friends all over the freaking world now. (laughs) Yeah. It's really cool actually. So, but everybody's here. That's, there's nobody belittling you. There's nobody harping on you. There's nobody knocking you down and it's good. Everybody's trying to be better, you know? Some people it's easier than others, but it's all the same. You know, we're all we all know where you, what everybody's going through or you know, or been through. is help. and people who listen, listen. <laughs> That's important.
1: I mean, I, I know that uh, people think, "Oh, I need physical connection. I need physical connection," and almost look at. Uh, Online connections is something that's not real life. But when I think about your relationship with Stella, for example, who's one of our um, coaches, you know, it seems pretty special. And you've never even physically yeah. met each other. <clears throat> no, no. <clears throat> Me and Stella talk all the
0: time. In fact, that's one of the calls. <laughs> Every Wednesday and Friday mm-hmm. sometimes until you started the Facebook Live, we do Fridays too. But we're Marco Polo, went back and forth all the time.
1: Really important. All
0: the time. She's she's great. She's one of the extraordinary special people in this group.
1: So why would anybody, why should they join us? There's lots of different places out there that you go, you know, to AA and other people. What, why Why would you advocate they come and join our little group?
0: Well, uh, one of the reasons I did it is because I didn't, you could, you could do it at your own pace. You could base your own demons on how you do it. A lot of other places, I mean, I don't know. I've did. I've done the the rehab thing. I've done the AA thing, and it's all about quitting drinking. But it's like all like willpower, and it does nothing to change you as a person. You know, AA, you give it your your the higher power thing because you can't handle it, and you're always in recovery. Uh, rehabs just you know that's that's just not right. But this, it's a, a self reflection, and it's to work on you to become not just a, somebody who doesn't drink, but to be a better person, you're just a better person and to open yourself up to the possibilities in life and what life really is, you know, the reality of what life is and give you the tools and the means to handle it and to grow yourself. It's a never ending, um, learning experience.
1: Hmm. Well, There's I, no pressure.
0: I, There's no pressure either.
1: I'm glad that you did it. I'm glad that you joined us and you're, uh, you know, part of the beating heart of our community and people are now learning from you. And that's really good. Congratulations on your one year sober. I know it's just around the corner, you know, so huge congratulations to that. And thank uh, you because of you. (laughs) (laughs) It's
0: because of you in this group. And somehow I will, if I get to that TED Talk stage, I will drop my my personal life coach and Lee Davis.
1: <laughs> thank you. Everybody's going to be going, who's that? What, what, who's that? Yeah. Maybe you'll inspire me to pull my finger out my ass and uh, be brave enough to do one myself, Mike, when I see it, you know? Oh, no, you know. could do it. You could do it. <laughs> Mike, thank you for joining us. really appreciate it. You betcha. Thank you. If you want to be somebody that doesn't drink alcohol or recover from any other addiction, Improve your relationship with yourself and those that you love, or just want to learn to live a more conscious life. Then here is what we can do to help you at 1000 Day Sober. Number one, we have a Strive subscription service. Okay. So you pay a monthly fee. You come and join us. You come into our community. You get access to all our Marco Polo groups. You get access to our Kajabi group. You get access to uh, content that you will not see in the public sphere mainly by yours truly, but by other people in my network, our friends as well. What else do you get? You get access to a weekly coaching call with myself. So you can get coaching, a one-on-one coaching with me on that weekly coaching call. And you get money off various different workshops and uh, invites to lots of other free stuff. So that's our subscription service. You could do group coaching programs. Okay, Right now we have two group coaching programs, Both called the Strive Method. The first one is addictions, okay? And they last for six months. The relationship course also lasts for six months. We've got Strive Method for addictions, Strive Method for relationships. There are workshops, okay? Or you can work with me personally one on one, okay? You can work with me personally one on one. And if you want to get involved in any of that, then just head to www.1000daysober.com and you will find everything that's going on there, okay? We have pages there on the website which will direct you in the right place and how to get older me, including a workshop space there as well. We're always running workshops, so you can sign up for those as well. Last but not least, if you do love this show and it has changed your life and you want to change the lives of somebody else, tell somebody about it and rate and review it in your podcast provider. I would really appreciate that. If you want to just reach out to me, ask me a question, just email me, 1kdaysober.com. Ah, at gmail.com. Much love, everybody. Bye.